Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services. We hope you enjoy. Um, well, I want to welcome you guys to Young Adults, and if you're new, what's up? My name is Matt, and I'm just a dude that works here. Happy to be here with you guys today. Now, uh, a few things. Number one, we are in week six, our very last week of our dating and marriage series that we have been in now for six long weeks. And uh, next week, if you want to come back, we're going to be hopping back into uh, our Romans series, where I think we're in week like 78 or something uh, in, the, in the book of uh, Romans. There's 430 verses. We're going verse by verse. We're in Romans chapter 13 next week. So read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 13 next week to set you up. Now, like I said, week six, last week of our series, DM, Dating and Marriage, where we've talked about a plethora of things over the last handful of weeks. Um, we talked about things like uh, dating, marriage, sex. Um, we talked about how to have he- healthy and romantic relationships. Um, we even did a week on pornography and, it's, and, and, and how it damages the neuroplastic part of your brain and the neurochemistry of your brain and the, uh, the reward center of your brain. We even talked about, um, or rather today we're going to talk about, um, how to have a marriage that lasts. Now, just really quick, if we'd be honest with each other, just raise your hand if you think you have a, a healthy understanding, or rather, I'll say, a healthy outlook on marriage. Like, you view marriage positive, like in a positive way. Now, let's be honest. Raise your hand if you kind of have a negative view of marriage. You're like, eh, I don't think it like, seems to work out well. You know, mom and dad, it didn't work out for them. Grandma and grandpa, they seemed to work out for them because they were born in the 1800s, but everyone else doesn't seem like it's working out well for, right? Well, I appreciate your honesty there. So today, I guess what I want to spend some time talking about is what does it look like to have a marriage that lasts? This last week, my wife and daughter and I were on vacation, and we went to kind of the Carlsbad, San Diego area, and went to the zoo, and obviously to SeaWorld, and things like that. And um, on one of the road trips, I don't remember where we were headed, but I was listening to the radio, and um, a comedian, a non-Christian comedian came on, and I remember um, hearing him talk about marriage, and it was, you'll see in a moment what his joke or his comment was about marriage, and it, was, uh, it wasn't a positive view of marriage. His was his, his was his joke or his view of marriage. Marriage is like flies on a screen door. There are those that are, want to be out, and there are those that want to be in. That's his joke on marriage. Now, you can obviously think that, like, he doesn't have a positive view of marriage, right? Like, he has this kind of this, this negative view. And I think if we'd be honest with each other, I think our cultural moment right now, we, as a society, don't have a positive view of marriage. Um, and it's for a plethora of reasons that I'll talk about in a, in a second. But my hope and my prayer is that you would see that marriage, I think, really is one of, if not the very best gift, gift outside of salvation, the very best gift God has given mankind is marriage. It can also be, like we talked about in week one, it can be hell on earth or it can be heaven on earth. It can blemish your life, it can bless your life. It can, it can, it can make your life incredible or it can make your life miserable, right? And uh, our experiences with marriage, like I've mentioned in week one of our series, that I didn't really have a positive view of marriage because to be honest with you, it seemed like my mom and dad, like they were joined together in the process of raising us, but they didn't seem like they loved each other any longer. Like I can't even tell you the last time that when my dad was alive that they went on a date together. It was, hey, uh, you guys have a house. Um, I'm taking mom out to, you know, wherever, Taco Bell. I'm just playing. Where, like, go to some, go some uh, restaurant or where it was. I can't even remember that. And maybe you grew up in a house that was like that, where dad didn't really seek out mom, and mom didn't really seek out dad. And, and it just kind of seemed like a dormant, dead marriage. And so you grew up with this impression, like, nah, it doesn't really seem like it that good. Well, let me um, tell you, as I've been married for eight years now, or at least this November, that marriage is incredible. It's, it's better than I could have dreamed of. I needed two things to understand that marriage was better than I could have ever dreamed. Number one, I needed a new model of what marriage could be like. 
I needed to develop a new model how by finding mentors, people who were married for a very long time that I viewed and had marriages that were really healthy. And one of those is actually my wife's parents, uh, Doyle and Connie, and they have an incredible marriage and, and they go on date nights every week. And, um, and I just watched the way in which they love each other, that they work together as, as companionships. Um, and it just seems like it's a beautiful relationship. And so I needed a new model, a new mentor, and I'm hoping to provide that for you tonight. But before we hop into where I want to go, I'm going to give you a question just for you guys to turn and discuss for 30 seconds. Here's the question, all right? Um, what three words come to mind when you think about marriage, whether positive, negative, neutral, whatever it may be, right? What three words come to mind when you think about marriage? I'm going to give you guys 60 seconds, turn and discuss with some folks around you. Ready, set, Go. Okay, now here's another thing. Here's another question that's popped in my mind, right? Um, I think most people, and I've had the privilege of being a pastor for a while now, and I get the, you know, the privilege of marrying people, and uh, never once, right, have like a, in the premarital, like they always have good intentions, right? Like the bride looks beautiful, uh, you know, the, the, the husband, he's, you know, he, looks, he looks great, and they have all their friends and family there, and, and, you know, they spend all this money, and they're dressed up, and all this, and they always have good intentions, Right? But you fast forward a little bit, and let's be real. I think most people that are married, and studies show this, kind of live like silent, miserable marriages, you know? I guess the question I just want to give you for another 30 or 60 seconds is why do you think that is? People start off with really good intentions, right? It's like week one of your, of your first semester. Like, oh, for sure, 4.0 this semester. Two weeks in, you're like, I'm just trying to get a 2.0. C's and agrees, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, and I think the same thing happens with marriage, but we start off with good intentions, and then like, algebra comes, and you're like, ah, well, maybe it wasn't supposed to be. You know, like, I'm going to drop this class, you know? Uh, and we kind of do the same thing with relationships, right? And so why do you think that is, right? They have good intentions, but, like, they kind of live silent misery, like, in silent misery. What happens? So I'll give you guys 60 seconds to turn and discuss. I think that'll set us up where we're headed, all right? Ready, set, Go. So we said this before, right? This is like my saying, everyone ends up somewhere, a few people end up where they want to be, right? And this is this reality, right? Like never once, like raise your hand right now if you want to get divorced in life. Sick, right? Nobody. No one's like, yeah, it sounds like, yeah, sign me up, right? Um, I'm reading all about Kevin Costner, and, uh, and I don't know who he's married to, but it sounds like it's a very expensive divorce. And uh, she's asked for like, like, uh, like 149000 something dollars per month. And she's like, well, you know, like I need like a, you know, $12,000 plastic surgery every month or some crazy, you know, whatever. And uh, I can promise you, I can promise you that however many marriages, they did not plan on their wedding day, looking in each other's eyes, and it's like, oh, I can't wait to ruin this. Eight years into it, I'm going to cheat on you. Whatever, right? Like, I don't even know what's happening but in their marriage. But like, I promise you, I have never, as a pastor, officiated a wedding, and I was like, I do, I don't. I plan on getting divorced. Right? That's never happened, right? Everyone ends up somewhere. A few people end up where they want to be in life. And for a plethora of reasons that you guys probably did discuss, but one reason I think is this. On my wedding day, I remember that um, I woke up early, and uh, I got to our venue, which was just our little church um, in Seal Beach, which actually opened up today since COVID, which is pretty cool. You. Um, so if you are in the Seal Beach area and you want to go support um, that campus, um, I think they have a service at 10 o'clock. AJ, is it 10? AJ leads worship there. 10 o'clock? 10 o'clock? Sick. So uh, today was our very first service. How many people do we have, by the way? Uh, more there. Oh, yeah. So like 130, 100? 100... No, like over, a little over 50. 
Oh, okay, sick. I had 120 people in my wedding there. How did you need more? Ch- Anyways, okay. Uh, I guess they were like this, like sardines. Um, my wife had to like scoot down the aisle. Uh, I'm playing. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a cool little venue though. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I remember on my wedding day, I got, I got to, the, uh, to the, the altar, I guess would be, or rather the stage like this, and I kind of just knelt down in prayer. Because what I was thinking about in that moment, and, and not that I was nervous, but rather I was weighing the, and contemplating the weight of the decision that I was about to make. And that was, I was going to make a decision, a decision in my life for probably the very first time of permanence. Think of that, right? What show you're going to watch, paper or plastic, where you're going to eat after this, even what college you're going to, what degree you're going to get, what job field you're going to enter, where you're going to live. Those are not decisions of permanence. You may move. You may switch degrees. You will probably switch careers and get other opportunities as you climb corporate ladders or God places you elsewhere. Even who you're going to date, none of those are decisions of permanence. And I realized for the very first time in my life, I was making a decision at 22 that was going to last the rest of my entire life. And I was like, wow, I need to invite God in this process. God knows the future, and I don't need to know the future. I just need to know the one who knows the future to be all right. And so I just kneeled there, and I just contemplated that reality, right? No, you've never been somewhere where they've said, now, do you promise to love and cherish this in-and-out meal, this plastic bag till death do you part, right? That'd be silly. No, right? But for the first time in your life, when you get the opportunity and, and God brings that person to your life, or they're in, your, they're in your life now, you're making a decision of permanence. On my wedding day, what I was thinking about was the permanence of this decision. And I think that a lot of people, they don't think of the permanence of marriage, right? It just becomes like another choice and option until something better comes. And that's the reason that most marriages don't work. Because if you believed it was something of permanence, you would treat it better. You would have a sense of ownership that it's my responsibility to make this thing work. Like you own your own physical health in some sense of the way, right? No one else can make you healthy, right? No one else can, you have to make the decision yourself, a decision of permanence, right? I think that I was contemplating that reality because I have seen a lot of bad marriages in my life. I assume that you have seen a lot of bad marriages in your life. In fact, a lot of marriages, I think, are left in shambles. In fact, I read an article this last week, a report that um, there is a divorce in the United States of America every 36 seconds in this country. 36 seconds. That's 2,400 a day, 16,800 every week, 873,600 in a year. The average marriage in America only lasts eight years. I'm on my eighth year of marriage. I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm gonna go home and ask my wife later, but so far, so good, right? I think we could probably agree, right, that marriage in our country, it doesn't seem to be getting better, you know? It, it seems to be progressively getting worse. I think it's because of this reality that certain secular psychologists and even sociologists are beginning to wonder if marriage over the long term is even healthy or reasonable. Uh, I listened to the TED Talk and um, the sociologist said this, is it even reasonable to ask people in the early stages of their adulthood to make a permanent decision that's going to last a lifetime? In one study put out by the Peer Research Institute, it said 40% of people that were studied overall said marriage was obsolete, including, funny enough, 31% of married people. They're like, yeah, I messed up. <laughs> like, it's obsolete, right? So I guess the question is, are these people right? Like, is marriage obsolete, Right? Is marriage something that you, as an individual, should stay away from? Regardless of the tax benefits and a plethora of other things, should you stay away from it, right? Or, here's an or, is it plausible or possible or even reasonable that the wrong people are getting married to each other and tons of unhealthy people haven't done the important hard work of becoming Mr. or Mrs. Right to find Mr. or Mrs. Right? 
Last week, if you were here, we talked about, um, I, I, we talked about singleness. And, and I said, if you're single or even if you're in a relationship, there are three things that, um, that I tell every single person to do. Um, number one is uh, clean out your closet. You got to realize you're a dumpster fire. That's important. I mean this in all love. You have daddy issues. I said that last week, right? And you got to go through your closet. I had tons of them. I probably still do. I went to counseling for eight years. Now I'm still fire, but I'm not dumpster fire, right? I shared stories of what a meltdown, I, you know, the tr- tragic individual that I was, and I had no idea why my wife still decided to choose me and eventually marry me. Zero idea. I was talking about it the other day. She goes, yeah, I don't know. And I was like, well, that doesn't feel good. Uh, it's like, why did I? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I think I was just, you were the only option. I was like, cool, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> right? But uh, you're stuck with me now, girl. Um, so yeah, so I think number one, there's tons of people haven't cleaned out their closet. They had done the hard work of going through their past relationships and realizing why did that those don't work out? Why did we cross sexual boundaries we shouldn't have crossed, even though we knew that they, we shouldn't have crossed those? Um, how did we get so emotionally out of hand and relationally out of hand with each other? See, here's the thing that we've talked about, and I want to reemphasize this reality and point. Experience does not mature you. Only evaluated experience matures you. Just because you've dated in the past does not mean you're going, to have a, you're going to date well in the future. Just because you've gone through something in life, this doesn't have to even be in the umbrella of the dating or relational world. Just because you have gone through something in your life does not give you an authority to speak on something. Your experience doesn't do anything. Only evaluated experience matures and grows you. Have you evaluated your past relationships and asked the question with a mentor, pastor, or gui- a guider, <laughs> counselor, something like that, why these past relationships didn't work? Your family of origin hurts habits and hangups. All of that will be brought into your marriage if you don't deal with it before you were married. There are no married problems. There are two unhealthy people that get married that have problems. Marriage does not create problems. It was like, oh, it's perfect before this. No, it just magnifies what was already there, right? Kind of the same with wealth, just magnifies what was already there. So number one, clean your closet. Number two, get out of debt. When I mean get out of debt, I mean stop buying sushi if you make $12 an hour, right? Because that's like your entire paycheck, <laughs> When you go out to sushi, right? If your bank account says top ramen, eat top ramen, okay? I pro- no one's ever thought a credit score of 550 was attractive. Never happened. No one's thought that $30,000 of consumer credit card debt was attractive, right? If you don't know what a credit score is, that's a problem. <laughs> You're looking like, ah. Uh. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll teach you about that later. Uh, and number th- uh, three, stay out of bed. Stop having sex. Stop looking at porn. These things are extraordinarily damaging. Last week we talked about, and I kind of did a section on this, where Paul talks about the sexual sin. It says, all other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but sexual sin, a person sins against their own body. We know that sexual sin is different. You are making soul ties to somebody that are designed to be permanent. That's why sex is supposed to happen in the confines of marriage. Look, statistically speaking, a majority of the people here have had sex. You need to understand that, one, yes, that's sinful. Two, God can restore, redeem, and make you new. The Bible says that you can be a new creation in Christ Jesus. In John chapter 3, it says that you can be reborn, made new. And God can, God can make you new. But you have to ask him to do this type of things. So back to our question. Is it plausible, possible, or reasonable that the wrong people are getting married who haven't cleaned out their closet, gotten out of debt, and stayed out of bed? And that they are making lifelong commitments that they have no business making because they are emotionally fractured human beings damaged and flawed, and are not strong enough to endure the pressures of a lifelong commitment. I think that's probably the case. 
See, healthy marriages don't just happen. They are not automatic. You know how silly it would be for you to think that like, you could just eat chips and dip it in that ranch or whatever that is, uh, French onion dip, sit on the couch, watch Netflix 12 hours a day and think you're going to have a six-pack? You know how silly that would be? You know how silly it is for you to think that you're going to have a healthy marriage without any of the hard work required to do that? It's equally as silly as someone that's morbidly obese thinking like, but one day I'm going to eat enough chocolate Snicker bars and then I'm going to get fit. That's not how it works. You got to do the hard work. You got to be obedient. You have to be disciplined in X, Y, or Z. Here's what I promise you. If you are willing to do the hard work, which is what we talked about last week. If you weren't here, go on our podcast, listen to it on Spotify or wherever else it is. Um, the payoff is so worth it. Like literally, I can't even begin to tell you how much better marriage is than I thought. And I, I, I lack, I was asking God today, like, God, would you give me the words to describe how beautiful marriage is? And it's like, I can't, it's like, if I tried to describe to you the Grand Canyon, Without you going to the Grand Canyon, you'll never grab the majestic beauty of the created world around you, right? If you've never gazed at the stars and you're like, oh, there are these lights in the sky, and they're like, that sounds stupid, you're like, or there's this cavern that you stare at for an hour with your mouth is open. They're like, that doesn't sound cool at all. I'm like, the Grand, you gotta go see it, right? That's what marriage is like. I just lack the ability to articulate how awesome and how incredible a good marriage can be. Especially if you've seen a bad one, you're like, I, I, I just, I don't even, I can't even fathom it. So my hope and prayer is that I'm going to put some language to this to help us understand that a healthy marriage is such an incredible blessing. And I want to talk about and teach you how to make a marriage that lasts till death that you part. See, marriage is the only game where you have no competition and both people can win. So here's your question. How do you, how do I, how do we win at marriage? Two things I want to talk about today. Number one, what a marriage is. And if you weren't here week one or two, I spent an hour talking about what a marriage is. And you can go on our podcast. I'm going to do a quick overview of some of that stuff, what a marriage is. I gave a definition week one. It was a one man, one woman in a one flesh union from one mortal lifetime. That's what the biblical understanding and definition of a marriage is. Number two, what a marriage needs. All relationships need something. And a relationship, a marriage relationship needs something unique because it's a different type of relationship, right? So um, I want you to grab your Bibles. We're going to spend some time in the book of Genesis, chapter 2. And if you have a Bible, go there, Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24. So we're going to spend a lot of time, and then we're going to go to the book of Mark a little bit later um, to hear what Jesus has to teach us and inform us about marriage. Now, the book of Genesis is an interesting book. If you're new to the whole Jesus thing, welcome. My name is Matt. I'll be your tour guide. The book of Genesis was the very first book of the Bible. The word Genesis means the beginning. This is important because if you want to understand how something was made, you should be go to the beginning of it. Marriage was fashioned, made, and it's an institution created by God. Therefore, he is going to be the only one that can speak with authority on what makes a marriage work and what defines a marriage. We do not have the ability as a culture to define marriage because we could, did not create it. Rather, we can only discover something that was already created, right? This is why I, I disagree with the premise that men and women can get married, or men and men and women and women can get married, um, because... Uh, it's, we can't redefine something that we didn't make. We can only discover something. It's like an archaeological dig in some sense of the way. So anyways, right? So in the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, it's this poem. It's kind of corny. I'll be real with you. Um, and this is Adam. Let me kind of like give you the scene and the setting. Adam has just woken up from his sleep. He's got a little scar here maybe or something because God took his rib out. I don't know how it worked, right? Uh, orthopedic surgery in some sense of the way. And uh, he wakes up and he's butt naked. He turns over. Eve, butt naked breaks out into this weird kind of like, not weird, this, this poem. Like he's just speechless. This is the first time he's ever seen a woman uh, and he's just like, 
uh, like, he's like, he's just like speechless, right? And so he breaks off into this poem, right? And here's the poem. It says this, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Imagine ladies, if a guy came up to you and said this, uh, and shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She's like, God, can you create another Adam? Um, maybe someone else, uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, he just kind of gets overwhelmed with emotion, breaks out into this song and, and rap probably does a tap dance. And, um, you know, he's a kind of dramatic guy, I guess, right? But these are actually the first words ever spoken to a woman. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Like, this is what, this is what he thought was a good idea. Um, and I guess she was stuck with him, so it worked. But I want you to go to the next verse, 24. Uh, therefore, a man... By the way, whenever you hear the word therefore, do you guys know what that means? Therefore means in light of what we just read. Therefore, after God created Adam and Eve to be with each other, and he breaks off into this song and dance... He says this, therefore, a man shall highlight, leave his father and mother and highlight, hold fast to his wife. They shall be highlight, become one flesh. There are three things you need to know to have a healthy marriage. Three things. If you're about to get married, take some notes. Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. They all work together because I'm a pastor. Leaving. Uh, This is how uh, a marriage begins. By uh, severing one relationship to to solidify another relationship. So I'll form it in the way of a question. What does it mean to leave your father and mother? Now, it doesn't mean you never talk to them again, like you're in some weird cult. That's not what it means, right? It doesn't mean that you kick them out of your life and that you tell your mom that you hated her cooking. That's not what it means, right? It doesn't mean any of that, right? It means to cut the cord of dependency upon mom and dad. To cut the cord of dependency upon mom and dad. It means to develop a new first loyalty as well. Now, how much hot water to get in with you guys? Um, all of it. All right, uh... Look, I'm a millennial, so I realize we're all poor, right? We are not entering into the world that our parents, our grandparents, and every other American was entering into. I read a survey in 1973 that you could have worked at McDonald's, bought a house, and paid for your tuition to Yale by flipping burgers. Dude, you can't own a McDonald's now. Go to Yale and buy a house in the neighborhood that your McDonald's is in, right? It's unbelievable, right? Um, Housing's gone up 100, I don't care about it. Okay, uh, we're poor. Okay, so I understand that there's going to be, for our generation, um, a dependency upon mom and dad that other generations didn't have. Work your best to cut the cord of dependency, even financially, from mom and dad. It does not help you in the long run when mom and dad are continuing to pay for everything. I know that sucks, (laughs) because it's great to have mom and dad buy the new car or whatever it is, but the reality is... Leaving has a severing to develop and carry the burdens upon each other, right? And financial struggle is a part of it early on. Chances are maybe a few of you guys have the capacity to be wealthy in your first few years of marriage, but most of us, most of us are not going to, you know, hit it and make $100,000 a year the second we get married or whatever it is, right? Um, So yeah, so it also means to develop a first loyalty. Um, On the day you get married, your new 100% loyalty is to your spouse. They become the most significant and important person in your life. The person you say, I do to. When you say, I do to somebody, you say, I don't to every other human being on the planet. There's a beautiful thing in that, by the way. And what this means is that this change happens and it begins to happen also in your relationship with your parents. Because for the first time in your life, you have now developed and established an adult relationship with your parents, which is this whole unique and different uh, type of relationship. By the way, Unhealthy parents hate this. They want you to be dependent upon them so they can hold it over 
lord it over you later in your life. This is the reason I normally say, like, if you can, don't let mom and dad pay for certain things in your life, because that blessing may be attached to a burden if your parents are unhealthy. Now, look, if your parents are great and things like that, then each relationship has a different dynamic, right? But I've also learned that unhealthy people still attach their parents emotionally. Let me explain to you the way I've seen this work out in premarital counseling. I hear of, uh, of the couple venting to their parents about the problems that happen within each other's marriage. That is the easiest way to get your parents to hate your spouse. <laughs> do not do that. Do not vent. I'm gonna just, I'll, I'll make this very clear. Don't ever speak poorly about your husband or your wife to your parents. That just creates a recipe for mom and dad to start hating your spouse. That is never a good equation. Go to counseling, talk to a therapist, talk to a pastor, something along those lines. Don't talk to mom and dad, right? Number two is cleaving. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, they should become one flesh. Uh, so a few different translations say cleave to, others say join, depending on the translation that you're doing. So marriage, it does require the commitment of permanence. We talked about that. But to be honest with you, so much I think in the English translation is actually lost here. The Hebrew word for hold fast is debak, debak. And it creates such an powerful image that's lost, I think, in the English language. It means to fasten to, deeply attached to, held together, stick to, joined together, and stuck in other words, it has this idea of being united to, adhered to, or glued to, because the idea here is an, a permanence of lifelong adherence to. Now, you're asking a question. Well, does this mean now that I have to be in, in a relationship lifelong with an abusive person? What about a person who's just habitually cheating on me? Like, am I now glued to that individual forever? And the answer is no. And we don't have too much time to talk about today. You can text in questions a little bit later if you care to know. But there are permissions in Scripture that do give allowances for divorce. Most divorces probably don't meet the criteria, to be honest with you, but some do. The first is called something called, um, it comes from the Mosaic Law, and it's adultery, right? When someone steps out of the bounds of their, um, the covenant they've made with each other sexually with another person, the Bible permits them now to give the other individual a certificate of divorce. The second is something called the Pauline privilege. This is when a non-believer gives you a certificate of divorce. You are allowed to accept their certificate of divorce. Not allowed to cause it, not allowed to give it. But when a non-believer goes like, I don't want to be married to you anymore. In fact, um, I was counseling somebody recently, or a while ago, um, that this, was, this happened to them. Um, uh, they didn't want to get divorced. They tried everything that they could possibly do to amend the relationship that they were in. Um, and it didn't work out. This other individual still wanted to move forward with the divorce, and they served the person with divorce papers, and they asked, what should I do about this? And I said, have you done everything you possibly can do? They have no desire to work on this relationship. And they said, and she said yeah, this individual has no desire to work on the relationship. I said, I do not believe the way that this person is um, acting, given I don't see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that they are an active believer um, in pursuing the Lord. And one of the reasons that they're giving you a certificate of divorce so they can continue to go live in disobedience. And so I think that under the biblical idea of appalling privilege, you can accept their certificate of divorce. And that's what they did, and it happened a handful of years ago. But most cases, I think we'd be real, um, adultery and a non-believer giving you a certificate of divorce is not the reason most people get divorces. Most people get divorced because, I don't know, they don't make me like have the butterflies I used to, you know? Um, and I just don't feel happy all of the time and giddy and things along those lines. They have built a relationship like junior hires build junior high relationships, uh, not a relationship of permanence, right? But the truth is, all divorces, um, even if they are biblically permitted, cause damage, because your souls are making a decision of permanence, even if you're getting divorced. This is why it's important and why we spent five long weeks 
helping you become healthy and helping you identify certain characteristics of who you should marry. In one of the weeks, I gave you the idea of duct tape. This is one of the best images I can think of marriage and sex itself, that it glues you together. And if I take two individual pieces of duct tape and I stick them together, they are pretty adhered to one another. It's a permanent kind of decision. And the truth is, I could carefully and tactically go through and with a razor or whatever it is, attempt to make the one-two again. But let's be real, they have both been damaged now in the process. The adhering properties have been lost in some capacity in some way, and both of them are now in some sense of the way weaker than they were before. Now, I think, again, if one were to be in a biblical um, uh, reason for divorce that God can heal and restore and, and, and things along those lines, right? But there's damage that happens in the process of both of these, right? I think today the idea of permanence is all but gone. We as a society has looked at God's blueprint for marriage and decided that uh, we can use acetone or nail polish remover, right, on those, on those adhesives. So we have, as couples, lie to each other on the day in which we get married when they say their vows to till death do we part. They don't actually mean that. They actually mean something like until you don't make me happy anymore, until, I don't know, we fall out of love and our kids leave the house. That's what they really mean, and it's sad. Last one's weaving. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. I want you to highlight, if you didn't already, in your Bibles, the word become. When it talks about becoming one flesh, it's talking about the physical and sexual union, and even maybe one day the child that comes from this one flesh amalgamation, a child of these two. The, the Hebrew words here are basar akad, basar akad, and it actually translates into English as one meat, one entity fused together, one person, one body. See, the idea of becoming one truthfully does happen this moment that you guys get married, that two people stand on an altar. The, the idea is that God now at a soul level views them as one entity. It happens instantaneously at your ceremony. But weaving your life together is actually a lifelong process that I don't know if most people do well. Here's what it means. I'll make it practical for you. It means that I share everything with my wife. It means that I have no secrets from her. Right? She knows my passwords to everything. She, I, I keep nothing hidden from her. Right? She has unfeathered access to all that I am and who I am. It also means that at no point in my marriage can I say, that's none of your business. It also means that I'm completely vulnerable to her wholly. Um, a handful of years ago, um, these people don't come to our church anymore, and it was a handful of years ago, so I feel comfortable sharing the story with you. Um, a group of young adults, or two young adults, came to me and um, asked if I would do, if I'd marry them and do their premarital counseling. I said, yeah, I'd be honored to. And so a handful of years ago, we met and did our sessions, and it became apparent to me that I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't think their marriage was going to be successful. And uh, a few of the things that they wanted to keep separate were their past. There were some things that individually that they had done that they didn't feel comfortable sharing with each other. And they wanted to keep their finances entirely separable. So come, come to our third meeting, I sat them down and I said, hey, I'm, I'm honored that you guys have asked me to, uh, to, do, your, uh, to do your wedding. Um, I need to be honest with you. You have asked a pastor to officiate this wedding and invite me into the process of evaluating your guys' relationship and helping you move on. Um, I, in good conscience, cannot marry you two um, because I don't think you guys will last. That worked out super well. Uh, they were like, oh, high five, sick. Um, and, uh, and so I explained why. And I, I said, I don't see you have an interest in becoming one. Um, it seems like you, you want to be together for some other reason than becoming one, but you want to still have your separate lives. Like, they even said, like, sometimes they want to go on separate vacations. It's like, what? Like, what? Like, okay. Um, 
And so I said, in good conscience, I can't, I can't marry. And, and I remember that the girl stood up and said, how dare you? And I said, how dare I? Uh, and, and they left out, and they walked out of my office. And uh, they moved. Uh, they got married uh, three, three months after that. And now they're divorced. And I was like, I technically said, told you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't say that. I did not say that. I don't know. All right, let's pray. I'm just kidding. Um, I did not say that. It broke my heart. And um, look, I mentioned week one that I had three people in my life that I was going, that I had three individuals, mentors in my life that I believed had such a good view of who I was that if these three individuals told me that I should not have gotten married, I would have listened to them. Um, I remember one of them was my counselor. His name's Kevin. And um, I remember saying, hey, I'm thinking about proposing to Chelsea. Um, I've made a commitment that I'm not gonna lead myself by myself. This is an area in which I have, I've never been married before. I don't know what I'm walking into feel like I have good mentors and people in my life. Over the, you know, at that time, four years of counseling that I've done, do you believe that I'm healthy enough to go through a marriage? In other words, can I have your blessing, the counselor that I pay, $100 a session, <laughs> to look into my life and say, you think I'm healthy enough to get married? And he gave me his blessing. And then I had a few other individuals in my life that gave me their blessing. I think, yeah, I believe as I've sought with God, contemplated your emotional, spiritual, relational health, you need those people in your life. Even the process of dating, should I date this person? And the person goes like, nah, because either they suck or you suck. <laughs> and have these people that can tell you no in your life. That, that's hugely important. But one of the things that I've learned about what really makes a, a marriage work together is the idea that it's a complete partnership as well, right? That, that every, every facet of the life is, is working together. I heard another pastor talk about marriage, and uh, he used this illustration I really liked. It was about the Eiffel Tower. You may not know this, but the Eiffel Tower was not designed to be a structure of permanence. In fact, it was only designed to last 20 years. Now, if you know how long the Eiffel Tower's been there, it's been there for a little while. Uh, it was built on March 31st, 1889. Now, I'm not good with math. Again, algebra didn't do good. But if you carry the one, that's longer than 20 years, right? I think it's 134. Again, someone else count because I'm not good at counting. So how is it standing like six times longer than it was engineered to? Literally, it was designed to last 20 long years, and they were going to take it down and harvest the metal for something else. Well, if you've ever been to the Eiffel Tower, raise your hand if you've ever been to the Eiffel Tower. Cool. That's awesome. I was supposed to go on uh, this year called 2020, but this whole thing happened, and uh, I didn't end up going. But anyways, not bitter about it. Um, the answer to the question is how is it still there is because the Eiffel Tower has an entire maintenance crew that for 24-7, 365 days out of the year, they're adding a weld here, a rivet here, they're replacing a nut or a bolt, they're putting new enamel on the paint, they're brushing off the rust, they're replacing metal and structures here, there, and the other where, because there are people whose sole job is to work together and keep their effort to keep this thing lasting. I think that is a perfect analogy for marriage, right? Two people working together on the project of their marriage to produce something that's lasting, that is strong, and that's immovable. No one else can build and save your marriage other than you. It is so important you understand that reality. No one else can work on your marriage. It's only you and the person that you're in a relationship with. That's it. You, no one else. No, you're not, you can't invite other people in. You can invite other people to help counsel you to work on your marriage, but it's only your hands to get the capacity to build and fashion that. So number two, what makes, or rather, what a marriage needs. I'll do this one quick, and then I'll get you guys in the groups, because I've already been up here for a while. Um, I want you to maybe ask a question. Um, what do we need to make marriage last is an important question. 
And uh, today, I just want to hop in the book of uh, Mark, chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, go there with me. If not, it's going to be up in the Sky Bible. And uh, you're going to notice that Jesus does a few things. Number one, he quotes the verses that we have just gone in uh, in Genesis. Now, here's why this is important, by the way, and why Jesus always brings us back to the created order. If you wanted to see how something was properly designed, you probably would want to go to the manufacturer. So if you wanted to see how a Toyota truck was built, You'd probably want to go to the Toyota factory and realize, okay, the steering wheel looks like this. These body panels and fiberglass look like this. You know where you wouldn't want to go to see how a Toyota's built? A wreckage car uh, uh, after an accident or a place where there's a bunch of mangled up cars, things like that. You would want to go to where it was originally created. This is exactly what Jesus does. He brings us back to the original created order to show us what the ideal is. And that's why he brings us to Genesis. The book of Mark chapter 10 says this, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond Jordan, and crowds gathered to him, and, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Verse five, and Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. When a couple gets married, they need to understand what has just happened and what this verse communicates and teaches us. Because what has just happened is their decision to be joined invites God in the process who himself joins them together. In other words, I wrote this on your notes so you can remember this reality. God raises an earthly commitment to a spiritual covenant. God raises an earthly commitment to a spiritual covenant. I'll say it this way. When you send out your wedding invitations to all the people, you may not know this, but you also send God one. And he always 100% says, I'll be there. I'll be attending. And I'll probably have steak or whatever he's eating, right? I'll have communion. I don't know. He's going to eat bread and wine. Uh, <laughs> he's going to be there 100% of the time. Why? Because this verse teaches us it's God who joins two people together, which means that marriage is more than a piece of paper, a ceremony, the recognition of a state um, or a union. It's the recognition of God himself gluing two human beings together. So I'm going to quickly give you two things about what marriage needs and then send you into groups to put some application to this. Number one, the first thing a marriage needs is the recognition that you are in a spiritual covenant with the other person before God. Whether you want to believe this or not, like I said, when you send out your invitations, it's important you understand the reality. God shows up and he is with the pastor standing there or at the courthouse, whoever it is, literally gluing you, basar kod, together is what happens. The second thing a marriage needs is this. It needs to be protected. Anything of value is what? Protected, right? Um, this is the reason that they have a lot of armed guards and safes at Fort Knox, because the gold in there is valuable. Do you know what's more valuable in the eyes of God than all of the value and money in Fort Knox? Your marriage, your soul, who you will become one with, right? That needs to be protected now, and if you want to know how, go on our podcast and listen to the last handful of weeks, but also your marriage needs to be protected when you are married. Now, you ask protected from what? Well, from people from outside it that want to destroy it. When you think about it, you protect things that are of value to you. It's important that you see the reality that your marriage is, outside of your relationship with God, the most valuable thing in your life. It says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. The idea is don't let anyone and anything, including your parents, drive a wedge in between you and your spouse. Um, I remember... Uh, a handful of years ago, um, what was driving a wedge in between me and my wife was here. It was work. 
Um, and I kind of got out of it in a weird way. Uh, so I was working about 80 hours on average a week. Um, I was the sole person responsible for student ministries here. Um, and we had some staff turnover and some things that happened in between young adults, high school, and junior high. It all happened with the span of about six to eight months. And so I went from being the junior high guy with four services a week to becoming the young adults pastor as well as the junior high person, adding a fifth service. And then I took on the high school ministry because our high school pastor left pretty quickly, and he had two services a week. And there was about five to 600 people between those ministries, um, like there is about now. There's, I think there's 500 about between all those ministries. Um, and uh, I was in charge of speaking at every single one of them, developing the structures, leaders, and whatever it is, working about 80 hours a week. It's the reason I think I have gray hair at 30. <laughs> and I did that for about three years. And my wife just said one day, we, we can't do this. Like, like, like you, can't continue. you either need to change how you work she said, she's brilliant. She's so smart. I should have her speak here. She said, Matt, I love you. You have to change how you work or you need to change where you work. And her parents are the, my bosses. Like, they're the pastors of our church, right? And so I remember talking with my bosses, not necessarily just her parents, but some other people. And uh, just when I was like, look, we have to hire some people. Like, I'm dying. I'm straight. I'm, I'm 30 and I'm, I was 28 at the time. I'm gray hair. Um, and COVID happened. <laughs> so I don't think God did that just for me, by the way. But I went from working 80 hours a week down to like 30 or 40. And I was like, 40-hour job is fantastic. Like, this is great. I feel like I've got so much extra energy and time. Um, and now I have a great team and Rob and Carly and a bunch of uh, other people that work um, in student ministries that carry the load. But um, that's not how it always was. But I remember my wife said, look, this thing needs to be protected. And it's not their outside forces like human beings that are trying to rip us apart. It's your work schedule that's ripping us apart. And so don't be workaholic is what I'm trying to tell you, right? Your hobbies, your golf, football, that's all great. Your, most, your first and foremost priority is your wife or your hus- husband. It's not your friends. It's not your hobbies. It's not your interest in video games or whatever it is. Your first loyalty, the most important person in your life is going to be your wife or your husband. Here's what this means, and I'll end on this. Your marriage is actually more about your wife than your kids as well. This is the reason that most marriages, statistically speaking, I read an article that talked about this last week, end, not most, but a large percentage of them end, after the kids go to college and move out of the house. Because mom and dad for 18 years, like kind of I, I described my parents' relationship, worked together just for the kids, but didn't work to get each other to love each other, to invest in each other, to long for each other more, just for the kids. This will save, I'm gonna, I want you to memorize this, this statement. The most important person in your life, other than Jesus Christ, once you get married, is your husband or your wife. Not little John, Joanna, or Gunther, or whatever you name your kid, right? I want to name my kid. Some of my last name is Cianfrani, and if I have a son, I was trying to name Ronnie, Donnie, Cianfrani. My wife is so not about it. I think that's the funniest thing ever. She wasn't about it. I also want to name our dog D-O-G, like D-O-G dog, and that's right. You were in my youth group when I got Zara, like eight years ago, or whatever. Uh, didn't let me do it. She's a, she's a bummer. But um, I'll give you one last story. Um, I remember when I was uh, asking uh, Doyle, her dad, to, to marry her. Um, I took him to you know a, a restaurant, and and uh, I remember at the end of it, it's the only time he's hugged me in my life. Um, and I didn't wash the shirt. And I'm playing. Um, so uh, I remember I take him out, and he 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 gives me a hug, and I was like, this is the best moment of my life. And um, and then he, he, I remember he he held me like this, and then he held my like my elbow. And he said, you know, she's going to be yours now. And I was like, he's like, and then he quantified what that meant. Her emotional, relational, and spiritual development, her financial health, all of it is now dependent upon you. Are you willing to take on that responsibility? 
a lifelong commitment to ensure her development. That's what marriage is. So I don't want you to go and do it haphazardly. I also want you to know it can be the, the very best thing that you do if you do it well. If you do it wrong, it is hell on earth. If you do it right, it's heaven on earth. We pray for you guys. We'll get you guys in the groups to talk a little bit more about it. Father, today we thank you that you are a God that's created blessings on things like marriage. And I pray, Father, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom um, to prepare ourselves in a healthy, godly way um, to endure um, all that marriage is, to have the fun of marriage, but also just the difficulties that come along with weaving our lives together with another human being. And so, Father, as we continue to develop application um, for this message and for this reality as we break up into groups now, I pray, Father, you'd lead us. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.